0: Can you make that out? I think you probably can. That's a picture of Ruth Denison in the last year of her life.
1: I'm not seeing the picture, Robert. You're not. Am I the only one?
2: No, I saw it. I saw it. Is it not still there? I saw it.
1: I saw
0: it. I saw it. It was, it was an apparition. Only those worthy of the apparition get to see it.
3: I see. Okay.
0: Hey. Well, I'm really lucky then.
1: Curious.
0: I was just moved sitting here, thinking of. I have this question. Whenever it's time to give a dharma talk, what shall I talk about? What's what's worthy of the time and energy and and um, it's, it's such a, in, in a certain way, it's such a responsible role to sit here and have you devoting time, energy, attention. And uh, so hopefully a Dharma talk is really useful. And uh, then the thought of Ruth came in and my gratitude to her and uh, she would be so proud of us at PIMC and everything that we're doing, that we really are her Dharma kids. And we've, um, you know, way back in 2000, she handed me the first check for uh, $10,000 and said, here, start a Dharma, start a center. And I said, Ack, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you'll figure it out and uh, other people will help you. And and we'd been in relationship since 1981, I guess, Ruth and I, and uh, it was such a privilege to have that relationship with her and in a certain way, a responsibility to keep the teachings going. And I remembered, I mean, I had countless in- moments of, that's not count- true, they were they were finite and they ended. Um, but one thing I think of sometimes when it comes to Dharma talks is, after she'd given a talk at Brighton Bush one time, I went in to see her that evening, and she, and she said, do you think that was okay this evening, darling? Did I, do you think, do you think I, I you know, I was talking, I forget what she was talking about, but, but she was concerned that maybe she hadn't done it clearly enough or something. And so that's, that's something that comes to my, my heart sometimes is I really want it to be helpful. So I invoked the presence of Ruth Denison and her uh, inimitable style. She was a force to be reckoned with. Most of you probably don't know that on the morning of 9-11 at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, she got a phone call saying, uh, your request to change your flight from today till Thursday is possible. You now have a first-class seat on Thursday. She was on the manifest. She was scheduled to be on the second plane that went into the towers. It was a very impactful um, thing for her. It was such a close call. Sometimes in a moment of humor, I I imagine what it would have been like. It would not have gone well, of course, But, but for her to be encountering the the crazed men on that plane and saying, Dalink, you can't do this, it's not right. (laughs) All right, so, to the topic of living this paradox of being a separate being and also being something else. Rumi again three Rumi poems this morning. This one is called The Embryo. Little by little wean yourself, this is the gist of what I have to say. From an embryo whose nourishment comes in the blood, move to an infant drinking milk, to a child on solid food, to a searcher after wisdom, to a hunter of more invisible game. Isn't that an amazing progression? Little by little wean yourself. This is the gist of what I have to say. From an embryo whose nourishment comes in the blood, move to an infant drinking milk, to a child on solid food, to a searcher after wisdom, to a hunter of more invisible game. Think how it is to have a conversation with an embryo. You might say, the world outside is vast and intricate. There are wheat fields, and mountain passes and orchards in blossom. At night there are millions of galaxies and in sunlight the beauty of friends dancing at a wedding. You ask the embryo why he or she stays cooped up in the dark with eyes closed. Listen to the answer. There is no other world. I only know what I've already experienced. You must be hallucinating. Think how it is to have a conversation with an embryo. You might say, the world outside is vast and intricate. There are wheat fields and mountain passes and orchards in blossom at night. There are millions of galaxies. And in sunlight, the beauty of friends dancing at a wedding. You ask the embryo why she or he stays cooped up in the dark with eyes closed. Listen to the answer. There is no other world. I only know what I've already experienced, you, must be hallucinating. And then from a very different angle, this may be by Hafiz. One night a man was crying, Allah, Allah, his lips grew sweet with the praising until a cynic said, So I've heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer for that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Khadir, the guide of souls in the thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I never heard anything back. This longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. (laughs) The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master, that whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. Very different vocabularies. So... This is a really interesting and unusual time. Imagine, I mean, wrapping my head around it, I don't know that I can, but every now and then it strikes me. This is a global phenomenon. It's a global pandemic. And it's something that, um, I need to unplug something here, otherwise it's not gonna work. It, it It's something that has r- 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 ramifications to, for every single person on the planet. And particularly I'm thinking of what are the ramifications it has for you and me, for what do we experience? And among the things we experience is a disruption of roles, a disruption of activities and We've each created a self in response to the world and in response to our responsibilities and in response to the pleasures we like to seek. And there are ways we like to do ourselves. And it's been quite disrupted. And in that way, it's very similar to when we go on retreat and we put our phone away and we we stop talking, we stop reading, we stop writing, and we're fasting from many of the ways that we use to create ourselves and to distract ourselves from the way everything's the way everything really is, which is constant change. And it, it's that is why. This is such a perfect time for spiritual practice because we're really being challenged to wake up to that which we really are. And there's a story that I tell with some frequency. Many of you have probably heard it. It's it's our story, it's our shared story. And a brief form of it goes like this. 14.2 billion years ago, something happened which was even bigger than coronavirus. It was the great flash, the great, and it's one thing to talk about that, but another, can you imagine that? We can't imagine it, it was so monumental. Out of nothing came everything, it's the great creation myth. And then galaxies formed and planets formed and galaxies crashed into each other and planets disappeared and, then this little planet formed and then life began on this little planet and then evolution took place and then there were dinosaurs and then there was a, it appears to have been a humongous object from space came in and killed all the dinosaurs. Boom, in a, in a few seconds, or a few hours, I guess it would have taken. Um, they say the plume, the, the molten rock plume from that, from that hit went a third of the way to the moon Think of that, that's kind of big, huh? And then if that hadn't happened, mammals wouldn't have been become dominant. We had to wipe out the the dinosaurs first. And then all of this happens, and then evolution occurs, and then humans appear, and then mystery of mysteries. Two human beings came together, and you were conceived. I mean, is that not bizarre? And then all the, all the complexities of pregnancy and birth took place, and then you were born. And then human beings took care of you <laughs> beyond their wits end, to try to help you grow up and have enough food. And I calculated once that my mother um, thought up, purchased and cooked about 15,000 meals for me. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand it, at at you know, when I was still at home in college, how she was so sick of cooking. Well, I'd be sick of cooking if I'd kick, cooked 15,000 meals. For, we, we, I was grateful, but I had no idea what I was, how big a deal it was that I was being grateful for. So, anyway, we get born and then we go through somebody training. And we become somebody who has a psychological structure and emotional wounds and traumas and so on. And we, we, we go through all these, um, all these projects. We learn how to talk. We learn how to walk. We learn how to, ha- how to more or less do relationships. Uh, maybe we get involved in having children. We get involved in creative endeavors. We get involved in politics. Um, and we become persons with opinions. And the world seems and is very real to us, right? People get born, people die, there's, there's um, things like the pandemic, there's, um, there's sicknesses, there's vacations to have, there's all this activity. And all of it is is seen through the six senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, uh, the the feeling body, and then mind, the representations of the world in mind. It's all very convincing, isn't it? This is who I am. Ram spoke several times, I heard him about, uh, when when we wake up in the morning, we reach over and we take our somebody suit and we pull on our somebody suit, and we become usually the same somebody. Wouldn't it be shocking? You pull on, you know, you pull on your suit in the morning and discover that you're a totally different person. That would be, I think, uh, you'd wind up in the hospital, I would guess. So it's very convincing. And when something comes along like Covid nineteen, or um, it really disrupts the ways that we have of of reinforcing this is who I am. And for some of us, it turns out to be an extraordinary blessing because we're willing to look at kind of like the other side of the mirror: who am I when I'm not my Activities, who am I when I'm not, when I can't relate to people in the way I used to. (sighs) Jumping to the Buddha, he said that the taste of this practice in the beginning is the taste of freedom. The taste in the middle is the taste of freedom. The taste at the end is the taste of freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from what? One way to think of this self-building project that is normative and required is that we, we, get, we build a case, a very strong case of mistaken identity. You remember those movies? I've seen at least three or four where the chief protagonist is found in a park naked and has no memory of how she, she got there. And And then the movie is all about uh, them finding out who they really are. Well, there's something that happens in some of us, and it's not a very large percentage of humans, where we really start asking the question, who am I? Who am I in this world where everything keeps changing and where I keep aging and where before long, I'm going to disappear? Mostly we humans like to not think about that but when we do, it can provoke something of an inner, an inner exploration and an asking of that question, who am I? Now that we can, we can ask it philosophically, or we can ask it in a very skillful meditative fashion, which is what the Satipatthana Sutra and the teachings of the Buddha in general are specifically about. And we break it down, am I, am I this body? And we really pay attention, not just philosophically, but really directly. Is this really who I am? And awareness meets the body and all of its various activities. And we notice that it keeps, it really keeps dissolving. If you close your eyes, we could even do it. Why don't you try this with me now? Let your eyes close. And bring awareness into your hands, that place in the universe you think of as your hands. And what do you find? Do you find hands? I don't. There's life there. There's or boundaryless life. It's, it's a cloud of sensations. And what are they what are they, if not changing, they're just change. Are these hands you? Or are they an experience? And what about that which is aware of these hands? It's a little more difficult to to know that, but we can. And now letting your eyes open, become aware of seeing Maybe let's let's do this. Let's lift the hands up and look at the hands. Now, colloquially, commonly, we would say, ah, oh, these are my hands. I recognize them. They have my rings on them. What if they were gone? Are you still here? You're not your hands. And we can do this with the entirety of the body. So who are we? The sense doors encounter objects, the eye with visual objects, the ear with auditory objects and so on. And consciousness arises and liking and disliking happens. And if you watch that all day, it changes just, every second there's liking and disliking almost. And then there's the mental formations. And I'd I'd like to dwell in here a little bit today (laughs) I just remember there's a a quote of Carl Jung, um, a reporter I think asked him, why is it that most of your patients are in their 50s and above? And Jung was reported to have said, I don't like working with adolescents. And what did he mean? And, And what I think he meant, and I think he further clarified, was that it takes till our mid forties and fifties before the ego is really stabilized. It's a structure that we're building, we're working on. And that is after that point that we can actually start doing the work of deconstructing. So that's an odd notion, isn't it? This this thing that's in process, this building, this building itself um, doesn't really get complete. Um, until at least halfway through our lives. And then then there's this process of deconstructing. And what are we doing in the deconstructing? We're recognizing all the things that we're not. And it's another big piece of uh, certainly my interest in in psychotherapy and in Buddhism and the way that I've taught and done therapy all these years, we use the Dharma, we use our, the capacity to develop some concentration and mindfulness and the seven enlightenment factors. We use that to create a stable floor in a way from which to begin to really look at our personality. And among the things we look at are, how about self-hatred? We can spend a lot of our lives, we can, I mean, so much of my life uh, was spent so uncertain of myself and so, so disliking myself. I was raised by my mother and two sisters, um, trained to dislike men. And uh, my father was around, but not in the same way he might have been. And so I reached my 40, 40s, maybe early 50s with, with disdain for men. Now that's a problem when one happens to be one. But then as that became visible through the meditation and some therapy work and men's retreats I went on, it became apparent that I was not disdain of men. That was a trance state that I'd been trained to be. Not intentionally, it was just what what was passed down. So by becoming aware of that hypnotic state that trance state I stepped into more freedom the taste of practice in the beginning is freedom in the middle and at the end so anything we can get to a place of observing in our personality we realize it's like we're taking our costume and making it more and more obvious more and more oh this is a costume this isn't fundamentally who I am Now the direction this is leading, of course, is to the direction that that poem with the embryos pointed to. There is there is a different way of being in the world which is much less contracted, which is actually ultimately not contracted at all, which is in complete ease with the way things are. So that's the there's this spiritual ideal or spiritual destination in a way, but along the way, every little piece of identifying our personal neurotic patterns as patterns is greater freedom is that making sense we we start with very small things we start with the fact that the mind wanders and we start noticing the mind wandering the mind wandering and then we we relinquish it we let go and what is it that lets go this it's the refuge in the buddha this it's oh those are thoughts, that's obsession, that's worry, that's hatred, that's judgmental, that's, and each, each step of that is a step back into freedom. And so our lives can become more and more creative and uh, much more accepting of things as they are, particularly our own personality, because we realize that it's, it, it has a life of its own. It's not mine or me and, and in in most circles it would be really insane to say, you know you're even even to hyphenate personality, personality, the trance states that we think we are, and in the end, they all disappear. <sighs> One more thread I want to pick up. I don't know if Eric is still alive. There there was a fellow, a very fine uh, Dharma teacher named Eric Kolvig. He lived down in New Mexico. And he had a one-liner that I I really liked. He said, samsara, which is the world of birth and death. It's the, the big bang and everything that follows. Samsara is broken. And there's no fixing it. There's something I want to say here. I guess it's 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 a reflection on my own life. I can stay really busy. I have more emails than I can deal with. I have household projects. I have, there's there's always projects. Uh, and to do those projects requires forming into self. And there's a certain tension involved in that. And sometimes it's very flowing and sometimes it's kind of chunky and, but it's, It's a focus on I'm here and the project is there and I must get it done, I I am engaged with that. Then there's this other undertaking which is very well articulated or, or presented in meditation which is now I get to sit down and I'm not going to do anything. Now I can turn meditation into a lot of work and whenever we do that, it's very helpful when we, when we recognize how we're doing that and let go of that. And we move in the direction with our meditation to the other end of the paradox, where there's nothing to hold on to, there's nothing to achieve, and there's nothing to fix. And some of the endeavors that we can get involved in, I'm, I was thinking this morning, while I was sitting for a while that in this, and it's really apparent in this COVID time, but also before and will be afterwards, some of us get involved in social social justice, in politics, in making the world a better place. And that's a really worthy undertaking and it's hopeless. Right? We can do, we, we can make, and we can have some big wins, and we can, we can make things a little better, but it's always, always going to fall apart because that's its nature. And that's unpalatable to some people, but <laughs> I was really committed in my 20s and 30s, I think, uh, that I was in the generation that was going to save the world. It was gonna be the end of war. It was gonna be if we should just shared, we there's plenty here. And we didn't succeed. Nor did the Buddha succeed. So I'm I'm not I'm not putting out a, a a plea for giving up on the world. Why not be engaged in the world fully? And why not help the person next door or help with the charity we do, or why not be engaged politically? But simultaneously, let's not forget that we don't want to be embryos. We want to remember there is another world. There is a way of being in which we can relax and which results in us being much more compassionate, loving, and also probably more effective in the endeavors that we do undertake. And the the shift to that relinquishment. I often hear people say, I don't have five minutes to meditate. Now that's a crazy statement. I don't have five minutes. I, I, I do need at least two hours a day on my phone in order to keep up with important information. But I don't have five minutes a day to just stop and be. Now the why of that is not so much that there isn't the time, but because what's discovered in that five minutes is unbearable. And sometimes we have the sense we're being left behind or we're, we're somehow being um, selfish. So this is a plea, this is a an articulation to the best of my ability. To heed the Buddha when he said, if you want to develop mindfulness, if, if you want to follow the direct path of freedom, take yourself to a quiet, secluded place. Sit comfortably upright. Place mindfulness before you and start watching what happens. Use the breath for stability and start noticing how everything has in its nature arising and passing away. That's the first few lines of this Adipatthana Sutra. So I think that's what I wanted to say. Let me check my notes for just a moment. I think that was it. Yeah. Let me repeat that poem I started with because it's such a great fit for this. Hang on. Rumi. All day I think about it, then at night I say it. Where did I come from and what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. My soul is from elsewhere, I'm sure of that, and I intend to wind up there. This drunkenness began in some other tavern. When I get back around to that place, I'll be completely sober. Meanwhile, I'm like a bird from another continent sitting in this aviary. The day is coming when I will fly off, but who is it now in my ear? Who hears my voice? Who says these words with my mouth? Who says these words with my mouth? Who looks out through my eyes? What is the soul? I cannot stop asking. If I could taste one small sip of an answer, I could break out of this prison for drunks. I didn't come here of my own accord and I can't leave that way. Whoever brought me here will have to take me back. So I am going to pause there and see if you have questions or comments, sharings from your journey. Thank you for listening and I hope that is of help. So, well, I think my computer is such that I would hear you if you are. If you unmute yourself and speak, it should work.
2: Robert, it's Pamela. Hello, Miss Pamela. That talk was so. Mm, impactful for me. I'm gonna want to listen to it again. Um, my mouth was opened a few times, just sort of. It, it it just rang, for me. So um. So I don't have a lot to say about it yet, but um, it really struck home. Oh. And the what you said about um, efforts at social justice will always fail and they're still worth doing.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, It was very liberating. Mm -hmm. So thank you.
0: You know, it doesn't fail, I feel teary. It doesn't fail for the little girl who gets to have dinner tonight because of my actions or your actions. Right. It's totally successful for her, but there's always another little girl, mm-hmm. and then the program collapses. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's worthy, worthy to do, but we we never get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Thank you.
5: Mm. Hello, Robert. Frank,
4: hello! Hi,
0: have you been here the whole time?
5: Yes, I have.
0: Oh, how nice!
5: So, uh, I found that uh, sentence very strong too. Samsara is broken and there's no fixing it. Yeah. And, uh, I find it uh, a very good reminder. I mean, it's a bit similar to saying that dukkha is part of life, but it says it in a different way.
0: Uh-huh.
5: And uh, for me, it takes. It, I find it a relief to hear this, to be reminded of this. And it doesn't weaken my efforts to help or act compassionately, but it takes out the guilt factor. You know, it's nobody's fault in a way. And uh, we can contribute to the better, and uh, we will never come to an end, not in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, uh, you know, it it takes away the bitter side of uh, that we will not experience a perfect world in this lifetime. So, thank you. For me, it was a very good reminder.
0: How are things in Germany?
5: Well, quite uh, good. In uh, at the moment, we have uh, we have we are in a phase now where the lockdown period since uh, two weeks uh, is opened again. So, ah. restaurants are open again. Uh, people have can sit together and eat, um, keeping a distance, you know, of six feet or so. But uh, the social life is somehow coming back. And uh, that's a very good, very big relief for everybody. We are allowed to visit relatives in uh, hospitals again. And Mm. uh, personally, being a massage therapist, I am allowed to treat patients again. Oh, cool. I have to wear a mask. Uh But uh, that's okay. So these are just some small examples to say that uh, there is a way out of a lockdown, it will come.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're tiptoeing toward that. We're galloping in some states, but in or in Multnomah County, we're tiptoeing toward it. Thanks. Please give Kali my love.
2: Good, Good morning, Robert.
4: Hi.
0: Where are you? Oh, there you are, hi.
4: Hi, good morning, thank you so much. Um, I mean, that was just like such a very uh, wonderful uh, reflection on this stuff that's hard to really um, put into words. I I really appreciate it. Um, One thing that came up for me was Yeah, I understand the do-gooder mentality, you know. And um, I was in a helping profession for many years. uh, And I get exactly what you're saying. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, doing something for someone else, actually, uh, if, if it's energy you have to give, um, it actually, I, I don't know. This is maybe a question as well. I'll just put it out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, that it warms my heart, you know. And so uh, as far as having value in the world, I think um, the warming of my heart might be a good um purpose in some ways I, you know, um, but no, I get it. The, there's a something good about it, but then it's also futile as well. You know, so anyway, there you go.
0: (laughs) You know, there's one, there's one shorthand that one hears sometimes that the the task is to, to be as compassionate and generous and effective as we can without being attached to the results.
6: Yes, Mm -hmm. yes.
0: It's so good for us to be compassionate and generous and to work for the well-being of all because it it takes us into more of our natural state, which is interconnected.
4: Okay, very, very nice. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for being here so regularly. Thank you. Hi, Robert. Gary. It's me, Gary. Hi. so you started with uh, showing a picture of Ruth, yeah, and then and then you had that that wonderful
4: line about samsara, and then Frank came on, and we got to hear his wonderful German accent. I have a request. Can Frank please say the line that that you imitate that uh, Ruth said about uh a leak in the
0: canoe? Okay, Frank. You mean the Dalink, there's always a leak? Okay. Oh yeah, I love that one. Come back, Frank.
5: <laughs> yes. Hi, Alexis. Uh, say the sentence again, how you said it.
0: Dahlink, there is always a leak in the canoe.
5: <laughs> okay. And you want to hear it in, in, in her uh, mother's language now. Huh? So that would mean, uh, Mein Liebchen, da ist immer ein Loch im Eimer. <laughs>
0: And in English with your lovely accent?
5: Uh, That would translate, uh, darling, every every bucket has a hole.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) We have the bucket
5: instead of the canoe as the (laughs) image.
0: Cool. Was that satisfactory? uh... Uh, Can you tell by my smile? I I loved it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Robert. Danny, outdoors. How lovely. Outdoors. I was just sitting here and I was struck with um, gratitude and um, love and just by the fact that this beautiful talk and four or five months ago you were in a hospital having your brain operated on. And I just went, wow, this is just amazing.
1: Yeah. That
0: this, this impermanence and the gratitude that this is happening yeah. and just the the small miracle there, that, um, you know, that, that recovery and that amazing thing. So I just wanted to express the gratitude for that mm-hmm. and love and uh, that that you're back with us. Mm-hmm. I was just struck with it today. So I wanted to share that with you. Interesting. You mentioned that, and um, the uh, my mind went to Vivek Deshmukh, my neurosurgeon,
1: mm.
0: who I cannot mention without getting teary. Mm. In he was he is such an exquisite, loving, beautiful human being, and who spent his life developing the capacity to cut a three inch hole in my forehead. And then to, I mean, what, a, what an incredible gift. Yeah. And, yeah. and I wouldn't be here without all the help, the, the support from the community and the nurses. It, it's it's um, the interconnectedness of it all is so apparent in such a thing. So, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad we still get to be. Yes. Get to have a life together.
3: Yes. Thank you. Beautiful speech this morning. Beautiful talk.
0: Thank you. Glad it worked.
3: Robert, this is Tiffany. Tiffany! Hello. 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 Uh, Rice
0: and, and a yes. woman with a, a very interesting painting. Very she cool.
3: has all religious symbols in her hair.
0: Actually, we'll we'll show her to you real quickly. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, and look, there's another being above. Oh, look at that. Yeah,
3: yeah, and she has a, yeah, five-sided or six-sided star, and she has a peace sign and just
0: all sorts of things. Incredible, thank you.
3: Yeah. (laughs) i just wanted to express gratitude for the talk this morning as well um during this time uh it really has been a a beautiful exploration in a lot more depth of um texts that contain the wisdom of people who have come before us and your dhammapada class has been really impactful Uh, and also during this time we've been studying the bhagavad-gita and a, a very um, a running theme, a very big theme in the Bhagavad Gita is to to do your action without any attachment to the fruits of your action, which is very much in your talk today. So I just love how um, strongly that message is coming through uh, during this time, uh, and it's a it's a real gift that I get to take with me. Uh, as I continue forward, so thanks for being a part of that,
6: Robert. I have a question. This is Mary. Hello, Mary. Hi. Um, I loved your talk too, and I I think it's um, it's kind of funny that that you started with your exchange with Ruth, um, and you know here we are all i think every one of us wanting to tell you how wonderful it was because it was so rich um but my question i have uh i'm i'm teaching a a class of uh of young, of young adults in their early 30s and um i think you know they have some curiosity about mindfulness but I'm kind of feeling like they're not really um, biting the hook. Like they're not really, they're not gonna go off and become meditators. And um, I was so interested in what you said about how we spend so much of our life, um, you know, up to a, a certain age sort of creating and stabilizing our ego and then once we've established that we can, you know, start to really look at it and take it apart and so forth. Um, which I really kind of recognize in my own life, even though mm-hmm. I have been drawn to meditation, um, you know, decades before that.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: So I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> you know, can you be too, like, what's the, you know, what do you do when you're still in the building phase? Like, Mm -hmm. is there a way that we can, you know, successfully um, begin that deconstruction at the same time that we are still building?
0: Well, of course, this is a model. And it's utterly inaccurate, (laughs) Well, It kind of gives a little bit of a hint. So I would say that you know, I've been I've been meditating a bunch, um, and doing therapy a bunch since my twenties, and um, and it's all happening all the time. That that medi- meditation for a long time is is about stabilizing and developing developing the capacity to have a stable ego for and it's very straightforward in a way that when the mind wanders and then the mystery of awareness happens and then there's the effort made to come back to the breath and then we learn over time how to suppress the hindrances, that's developing ego strength. That means the part of us that's the, 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 the ego, the structure which is an intermediary between the unconscious and the world becomes more stable when, we're, when we get to be more concentrated. So I've been using meditation for decades, learning how to be a little more stable or a lot more stable. Now it helped along the way to reduce and eliminate drug consumption and cleaning up the moral and ethical behavior because that creates such furor and then there's more and more stability. And then at a certain point, there get to be periods where there's enough stability that we can then really intentionally go and look, who am I here? So and with those with those young people, you know, you you just give them your love and your best guess and your best shot, and um, you you never know who's gonna get what.
6: <laughs>
0: I mean, I I've been doing uh, each first Sunday of the month for at least fifteen years. So that's a bunch of them. What's that? Fifteen times fifty. It's a lot. I do a one-hour introduction to meditation and PIMC at PIMZ, mm-hmm. and a very small percentage of those people stick. Now, is it because I, I don't do a good presentation? Is it be, who who knows what's what? But there are people who, for whom they come in, and it's like they come like one of those spacecraft. It gets close to the sun, they're suddenly in orbit, and so, and I'm I'm certain that was at the time of the Buddha, the Buddha didn't connect with everybody. Lots of people were not interested because they had a different, yeah, you know, they were on a different trajectory. So accepting that not everybody—that's that, that's that non, non-attachment to results. There's, and and it, it's an—I have an odd—it's—it's um, it's an odd, really good characteristic which is I love talking to newcomers. I love talking to the people who are there for the first time and watching them light up. Sometimes you, you can just see, it's like you're lighting a wick and it starts to burn. And however, lots of times it's like they're glaze over and why am I here sort of, does that make
6: sense? It totally makes sense. I, I'm i just, what I'm. I'm at the point of wondering, like, I mean, I have been, pulled towards teaching to younger adults. Uh-huh. Um, but then I think, well, maybe I, you know, maybe my efforts are, are better spent with older people. Ah,
0: Well, and I think your own joy and delight would be a good guide there where you really get the delight. Yeah.
5: Okay.
0: You know, many years ago, uh, I was invited to a high school to give a talk. And uh I did. It was a high school out in East County somewhere. I gave a talk, and it was uh high school seniors, I think and uh I talked to Ruth Dennison later the day in the day, and she said, "You know, Dolly, what did you talk about and i I forget what I had talked about, and she said, "Oh, come on, give me a break. You need to talk to them about the precepts." <laughs> <laughs> so
6: now we find our way yeah yeah Yeah. and oh
0: and one other thing occasionally a young person comes along who is hungry and ready at 15 or 18 or Mm -hmm. or there's been young people come on my retreats every now and then And they walk in and I think oh boy this is not a very good fit and then they wind up being solid in their sitting and it's very who knows thank you for the comment (laughs) who's that smiling lovely man beside you
6: this is Tommy
0: (laughs) hi Robert hi Tommy yeah you look at you look at her with such loving eyes it's really touching (laughs) that's the truth. I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's it's encouraging just to see you guys.
6: Yeah, thank you. I'm
0: always sitting in the background uh during the week. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's fun to have you up for in the front like this.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks. Mary, if I could offer one additional thing to that is yeah. uh, some of my teachers that impacted me the most when I was young probably have no idea because I didn't know how to reflect it back and show my uh-huh. appreciation. And also, as I have become who I've become, it's really hard for me to put together all of the little teachings that I didn't maybe even notice at the time that have created a a structure that I can really rely on in adulthood. So it's a, it's kind of like you know, trying to walk a cat. It's very challenging. and you don't know exactly how it's going to go.
6: <laughs> thank you though. That's encouraging. Yes. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Bryce.
2: Hey, Robert. Robert. It's Therese. Hi. Therese hello. Hi. Um, I just, um, I loved your talk today. Thank you so much. I am, um, I remember um, I mentioned it before when I was seven months pregnant and I was on a retreat with you and um, it was an awareness exercise you were giving us and I could hear and feel my heartbeat within me and the baby heartbeat within me so very clearly. It was this incredible awareness and um, I've never, I don't think I've ever achieved that depth of awareness. I've practiced 20 years since then. um, And but through the years, there have been these moments when these incredible, just like awakenings, have happened in meditation, and they haven't been the same. And the other day, um, I had one where I just I burst open this creativity that has been locked down within me, hmm. and um, and I, it, I can't really explain the sensation or the experience, but it was one of those huge upheavals from meditation, and I guess my. You know, I, I think that I, um, I wonder sometimes about the attachment to these kind of sensations or these experiences, and I want to be that all the time. I want to be that creativeness that blew out of me in that moment. And it reminded me of the times in those two-week meditations where I felt like I just took a little piece of it back
3: mm-hmm. to
2: the real world. And um, just, I know that the craving of that I believe that the craving of that when I walk into it, you know, when I start my meditation will actually block it. I, 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 you know, it's just this. So I'm, I think I'm kind of struggling with that. You know, like I, I I had that the other day and I just, I want it again. I want it, you know? And so I'm, I'm just thinking about that. So thank you.
0: Um, You're right. The suffering comes from the craving. I, uh, I, A quick rendition of a little story back during a very painful time in my life, during a divorce and custody battle, I did a retreat with Achan Semedo at Cloud Mountain. And there was a day when the mind got quite quiet and there used to be a stone path, a stone, stone stairs that went up to my walking place that I like to walk high on the property. And in stepping from one stone to another, I fell into this profound concentration, just, laser like and ease and no thoughts and like the divorce became ancient history and and I was and then I walked up to my spot so clear and then I had an hour on my spot back and forth no wandering mind and and I thought to myself I, I, I be careful you don't get attached to this and I thought oh I'm not gonna you know it will be fine I I know what's going on here. And then I went down and then there was an hour sitting and during that hour, it was such bliss, just, oh, great. And then the lunch bell rang and I thought, I think I'll stay here. No, I thought, no, I'll go have lunch, this is fine. I'm not attached to this. <laughs> and I came back after lunch and it was gone. And I wanted it back. And when I knew I had lost my mind was when I was on the stairs at that particular stair, stepping up and back and up waiting waiting for it to happen, and it never did. So I think the message in that is that these gifts come along, these moments of great insight or great peace or great creativity, and they do change us. And sometimes events come along that really change us profoundly, like deep awakening experiences, which can last a quarter of a second uh, or less. Uh, So I think we bask in the gifts we're offered. How nice you had that experience. What a blessing. I heard another voice when I went there. And it's almost noon. Oh, it's a little afternoon, so we'll need to end soon. But is there anything else sitting on a heart? Yeah, good amazing. morning, Robert.
1: And this is John.
0: John, hello. I good.
1: see you. Hello. Uh, just a wonderful, you know, like a waterfall coming over me. Just overwhelming in terms of everything that you said. Very complex. And the thing, there's so much to take away from that. But one of the things that struck me was that I found a couple of times uh, in recent weeks where I was able to step out of that personality, as you describe it, and just move towards the other person in a, in a in a, a, a mindful, caring way. And, uh, but I was, I was also at the same time, uh, you know, being clear about my boundaries. And and I was not accusing or any of those other sorts of things that we do or placing blame, etc., then playing the blame and shame game. But uh I'm very clear about what my boundaries were. And I was willing I was not involved in the outcome. It was just this is the way it I wow. see it has to be. Mm-hmm. And uh I get a, a message from uh, this, this fellow I was working with, and he came up with an entirely different solution to the problem, which was quite satisfactory for me, quite a satisfactory for him. Huh. And it was just, uh, you know, I, I had to get out of my own way in order to let that happen in order to, to, to so we could both kind of come to that place. So, and, and that happens, I see that happening with a little more frequency. Cool. So I'm, I'm very grateful for uh, just being able to, to listen and, and, and meditate and think on, on, on uh, kind of what, what we share with one another, so thank you.
0: Thank you for sharing that, lovely. All right, anybody else with a last, anything bursting to be spoken?
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, let's end with that lovely Sufi practice 101 beautiful names of God in Islam. One of them is Yah Shakur. And the translation means, how exquisitely the divine is manifesting to me in this moment as you. How exquisitely the one, the mystery, is manifesting to me in this moment as you. It has both edges, both sides of the paradox in it, doesn't it? It's the, it's the recognition of the mystery and then also the manifestation as you. So it's done by putting the hands to the heart. And then three times we will say, Yashakur, with that thought in mind. And you might pick a person. So it's quite particular. Interestingly, even if you do it online like this, and you don't know the person, your relationship to them will always be different in the future. It's so cool. <laughs> so, hands to the heart. Well, let me get let me get it uh, mute, unmuted for all, so we hear everybody. Unmute all. Here we are.
2: Put them on. Put them on. Get
0: rid of this, so I can see you. Yah let Shakur Shakur
1: it Shakur Shakur
0: Shakur it Shakur, oh, Shakur. Shakur. Shakur.
6: Shakur.
1: Please have a lovely yeah.
0: day and Shakur. weekend, and I look forward to seeing those of you who come tomorrow morning. Thank you, Thank you Robert. Meals. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you. Bye. bye.
4: All right, let's see. Do
2: you know to Bye, Frank. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> bye Frank. Bye-bye.
5: Namaste, Frank.
0: Bye, <laughs> Sherry. <laughs>
5: <laughs> 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 That's Missy.